Well, we are in a series in the book of Philippians. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open there to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, and as I was looking at the verses that are kind of coming up, Philippians is full of these amazing passages that like your grandma would knit on something. You know what I'm saying? I, like back in the day, anybody else have grandmas that like knitted you Bible verses? Is it just me? Just, like, we got a few. All right, those are the real holy. Those are the real holy people in the room. When grandma was knitting you Bible verses and handing it to you when you were like 14, and you're like, uh, thanks, grandma, for this verse on a quilt that I <laughs> don't know that I need. But these, there's these amazing verses that are like staples of the faith. They're these incredible, incredible passages that if you don't have them memorized, you've at least heard them before, and you're excited about it. I don't get to preach any of those verses. I was looking at the schedule and like reading through and for some reason all of the other verses are the ones that I have. So here's what I want to tell you. Coming soon are all these amazing passages. Uh, and because we preach exegetically, we preach the whole Bible, we preach the whole chapter, and sometimes you get passages that just aren't as exciting. But in the passages that we're going to be talking about today, although it may not say to live as Christ and to die as gain, it may not talk about the humility of Christ, it may not dive into these amazing, beautiful theological concepts, what it does is it teaches us who Paul is and where he's at. So I, I, one of the things that we've done a lot when we're trying to create community, if we were starting, if my family was starting a new kingdom community, or if I'm trying to meet some people and get to know them, and we're hanging out together and doing Bible studies together or praying together, one of the things that we always do is we share each other's stories, because this is my belief. I really believe this. Once you hear somebody's story, you can't ignore them. Are you with me? Like once you know where they came from, once you know what they're experiencing, once you know their hard points and, 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 and high, high points, like their hard times and their, their tough moments, once you know that about someone, there's an empathy and a compassion and a love and a grace and a kindness and a generosity that comes when we hear each other's stories. I think a lot of our conflict and a lot of our struggle and a lot of our divides in our country could be solved very easily by just listening to each other's stories. Just taking time to hear, who are you? What made you you? And so what we would do in these groups is we gather in a home, and, and each week a different person shares their story. And here's the rules of it. You have to imagine that your life is turned into a movie, or a book, or a documentary. And we want to ask the question, what are the things that made you you? If I want to understand who you are and how you were shaped into the person that you were, I want to hear those things. And you have to share two high points, like exciting things that shaped you, and two hard times, difficult things that shaped you. And so you just let that person share their story, and then you ask some questions, and then you pray over that person. And I'm telling you guys, it's amazing how much community that builds very, very quickly. Kingdom community leaders, start taking notes. Like, you all can use this, right? It builds so much community really fast because you hear each other's stories. You start praying for each other. You're like, how's your mom? How's this situation going? How's the job search? What's going on here? And all of a sudden, your relational connection grows tremendously by just hearing the story and talking about who you are and, and, and what made you you. 
Paul, at the beginning of Philippians, he does his intro, which we talked about last week, which is this beautiful invitation of the church that he loves. The Philippians church is the only church that he doesn't scold, chastise, or get angry with. He's just like, you guys are doing it. You're doing great. I'm a big fan. That's what Paul is saying in the intro. Keep going. Keep loving one another. Don't let... Don't let anything divide you. Keep staying together in the gospel. And then he starts to share, this is what made me, me. And if you know the Apostle Paul, there is real beauty in these texts. Verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me. And here's what the question comes right away is, what happened to him? So Paul is writing this from prison. He's writing this in chains. He's writing this as he's in prison, accused of spreading the gospel, accused of sharing the gospel in ways that the Roman government didn't like, the Jewish leaders didn't like. They colluded together to capture Paul. Paul is in prison. And I don't know much about first century prisons. Like, I am not a historian. I've never hung out at one. I don't know. Like, I've seen pictures, those kinds of things. Here's my guess. It's not awesome. There's not three meals a day. There's not time in the yard, right? There's not like time, like you don't get to watch Jeopardy every evening together. There's not a movie night. Like I am guessing this is a really rough place that Paul is at. He's in a first century prison, which is pretty much a cave. The dude's in a cave with bars on the door. He might get some food. I know at one point Paul talks about how he's cold and asks somebody to bring his jacket and his cloak because he's freezing in this place. It's an uncomfortable existence. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Me being in prison is actually doing a good thing, is what Paul is saying. Me being here... Me being uncomfortable, me being in this space where I don't want to be, I didn't plan to be here, I don't want to be here, I don't, I didn't have this as my plan for my life, even though this has happened, the the gospel is advancing, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So all of the people that are guarding Paul, Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel, and guess what he's doing in prison? Sharing the gospel with the guards. Like, can you imagine how frustrating Paul is to the Roman government? Like, everywhere he goes, everybody comes to know Jesus. They're like, stop telling people about Jesus. And he's like, okay, let me tell you about Jesus, right? Like, there's this, everywhere he goes, every place he gets, the, the, the jailers come to know him. This is how the church in Philippi started. He was in jail there, and the jailer, there was an earthquake. The doors flew open. The jailer came to know him. Like, there's all of these things where everywhere he goes, he keeps sharing the faith, the whole imperial guard, and, and, and all the rest that my imprisonment is for who? Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak without fear. So because I'm in prison, here's what's happening. I have a whole new group of people to share the gospel with. Because I'm in prison, the other leaders in the church have become emboldened because of my faith. Because they're seeing me do this over and over again where I end up in prison and I just lead everybody to Jesus in that place, because this is happening, now all the other leaders of the church are becoming more brave. Because in the first century church, there was this persecution happening in the church, especially in Rome. 
right? And so there's this pressure. There's this um, Nero, this terrible governor. All these terrible things are happening over and over and over again. And Paul just continues to say, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep walking without fear. There are times when our discomfort produces kingdom breakthrough. Are you with me? I'm going to say it again. There are times when our discomfort produces kingdom breakthrough. If I'm Paul and I'm writing to the Philippians, I am complaining. Are you with me? This stinks. I wish I was with you. This cave is awful. I haven't had a good meal in weeks. It's freezing in here. I don't have any, none of my buddies are hanging out with me. I don't have access to the TV. Like, I, don't, I, I miss the last gladiator battle or whatever sports they're watching in, in Paul's time. Like, like I'm, I, I miss the track meet. I don't know what, I don't know what they did. I, I, I'm missing my favorite things. Like, I'm complaining to them about it. Paul is like, let me tell you what's happened to me, and let me tell you how God is using it. And here's, what, here's what's going on. Paul's circumstances don't really change. He stays in prison after prison until eventually he's put to death. But his mindset does change. And there are times when our circumstances have us locked up in a certain place. And we think we're locked up and we can't get out and we're stuck and there's no way to avoid it. When actually the key to getting out of our circumstances is simply our mindset. It's simply understanding that Jesus is with us, that the Holy Spirit is at work, that God is good even when my circumstances aren't. So my strategy at that point is like, get me my lawyer. We got to come up with a plan. Send me some fees so that I can pay that lawyer. Like we got to come up with a plan to get all of this out. But Paul's circumstances, his, his faith is not rooted in his circumstances, but in his, but in his father. I had a friend uh, that was a pastor. He still is a pastor. And when I lived in Ohio, everywhere I would go with this pastor, he would start leading people to Jesus. It was almost annoying because you would go out to lunch with him and it was, he did like cheesy, cheesy stuff. Like you guys know, like the old school pastor that like on their website, they have a picture of them with their Bible open and they have like glasses on and they're wearing one of those jackets with like patches on the you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the, the churches that like have oil paintings of their pastors on the wall. How many of you grew up in a church that had like, a, like an oil paint? I would love to do that, guys. I just want to sit here <laughs> for hours and have somebody paint me like a king back in England or something. Like, what is that? Right? That's the weirdest thing. This, so it's this kind of guy. And we would go to lunch, and he, he's the coolest guy, so fun and amazing. And, and we'd go to lunch. The, the waitress would come up and be like, do you guys need refills? And I promise you at one point, he said this to the waitress, and I turned bright red and was just embarrassed. Like I was whispering under my breath, I'm sorry, we're pastors. <laughs> he said this, she was like, do you want a refill? And he was like, do you want living water? <laughs> I was like, what is wrong with you? You are so weird. We're, we're having pizza one day at this pizza joint. And it's right by my house. And it was a really good pizza place. Like the best pizza place in town. And this guy comes up to us and uh, one of the servers and, and my buddy's just like, how can we pray for you? And he's like, my wife, we've been trying to have a baby. We've been trying for like 10 years. 
we, we haven't been able to have a baby. And he's like, oh, I can pray for that. He's like, God listens to me. He stands up in the middle of the restaurant, right? Everybody else is just eating their pizza. He's like, got his, he's like got his hand on this guy's forehead. Like, it is the weirdest thing. I'm like, this guy is going to hate us. I'm never going to be able to eat pizza at my favorite pizza place again. This is super weird. The guy's like, oh, okay, thanks. When he's done, he like tried to avoid us the rest of the time. He's like, bring the refills, throw them, and run away. I go back in there like two weeks later. The guy runs across the restaurant and is like, my wife's pregnant. He's like, you can eat pizza here for free forever, anytime you want to eat pizza here. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't even do it. I was embarrassed that it was happening. Like, I, I didn't even have anything to do with it. I was just there. And so I got to eat free pizza every time. So, so he's like, bring your buddy back. He's like, bring your buddy back. We'll get free pizza. So a week later, like free pizza, we're coming back. So we both go in there and all of a sudden, like, He's like, oh, you need to pray for this server. And you need to pray for this server. And you need to pray for our manager. And all of a sudden, like, these people are just parading to the pastor's table to be prayed for by my buddy. This is what Paul's doing in prison, right? Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's embarrassing. It doesn't matter if it's weird. It doesn't matter if it's cheesy, which, my goodness, this dude was cheesy. Right? I, I, my, my, I still ask Jesus, like, how did that work? All the time. Like, how does this work with him? Like, Jesus, I think, is perfectly comfortable with cheesiness. Like, I think, he's, I think he likes it. I think he laughs at the oil paintings on the wall. Like, I think he enjoys all of those things. So, here's what's happening. Paul's witness and Paul's faith has emboldened other people around us to live out their faith. When I go to lunch with my buddy, I'm always like, man, I need to tell more people about Jesus. I need, to, I need to be more bold. I need to pray for people in public. I need to say cheesy things sometimes. <laughs> I need to do all of these things. Do you have friends like that? That when you're around them, you're like, oh man, like, I need to have more faith. That person's not afraid of anything. I'm afraid of everything. Like, I need to risk something because this person's risking everything to follow Jesus. You ever around a person and it feels like just because you're around them, you get some kind of spiritual gravitas from being around them? It's like just from hanging out with you, I feel better about my life and the world around me. They carry a peace with them. You around those people? I could use some peace in my life. <laughs> Like my life is so much chaos, and I'm running from place to place, and I'm afraid of everything, and I'm worried about everything, and I'm stressed about everything, and I'm just, and I need to be around people who just carry a presence of peace. God's good. I trust him. Aren't you scared about what's happening in your life? Yeah, a little. But God's good. He's proven he's faithful over and over again. We just sang about it. Right? There is a way in which we can live that emboldens the people around us to live out their faith in the way that Jesus has called them to. And each of us in our life can think about people in our own life who have been those people for us. Like I immediately jump to my parents. And that's the first place I go. My, when, my, when my mom prays, Jesus listens. Like, I don't know what it is. I think it's long obedience in the same direction. She knows Jesus' voice, and Jesus knows her voice. And when I ask my mom to pray for stuff, it's done. 
Like the Lord answers. My dad is one of the most kind and generous men I've ever met. He'd give the shirt off his back to anybody he knows. He would give every penny in his pocket to anybody that he meets. He, he doesn't meet a stranger. He's just kind and generous. My dad is just good. Have you ever met somebody that's just like, they're just good? He's just a good man. And I want to be like them. I want to learn how to pray like my mom. I want to learn how to have good motives and have a pure heart like my father. I want to learn to be generous like them. And I'm so grateful that God placed me in their family because their faith has emboldened me to live out my faith. And being around them has grown me. All of us could say that about our parents in one way or another. There's also people in this room that we could say that about. Like I could point towards people in the room right now and say, did you know what's going on in this person's life? And in this person's life and in this person's life? Do you know how they're living out their faith right now? Do you know this cool thing that's happening to them because they're stepping out in faith? We need to hear each other's stories. We gather together on Sunday so that we can scatter the rest of the week and live out our faith. But while we're here, I need to hear stories of breakthrough. As your pastor, I need to hear stories of like, you're not going to believe what happened. I was at work and I had this conversation with this person that I've been praying for. Or we've been praying for healing for my daughter and it happened. Or we've been hoping for this for a really long time and asking Jesus for it. And it's actually happening. We need each other's faith because we can leverage each other's faith when ours is low. So when I don't have the strength to believe, I need to lean on y'all. Like I need you to help me. When I don't have the faith that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, I need somebody else to say, oh no, he's already done it. He did it in my life. I need those moments where it feels like I'm in prison, where it feels like my circumstances have got me trapped, where it feels like there's no way out, where it feels like I didn't ask to be here, I don't want to be here, I didn't hope to be here, but somebody else says, I've been there and I'm out. Because of the goodness and mercy and, good and grace of God. Um, Braveheart is one of my favorite movies. I know it's cheesy. I know that it's Mel Gibson running around acting like something. Uh, and, and it's super cheesy. But I love the movie. Every time I watch it, I, I, I'm like, oh, that's a cool movie. And uh, I, I want to show you a scene from Braveheart. It's Robert the Bruce, who is the rightful ruler of Scotland. It's his father who has leprosy. And Robert the Bruce has just betrayed William Wallace, Mel Gibson's character. And he comes to meet with his father to tell him about it. And I believe that the fig that he says here is intrinsic in every single human being in the world. Let's watch this. Gonna need more volume.
I want to believe as he does. At one point, he says, William Wallace fights with no title, with no authority, but he fights with such passion that it makes me want to run out on the battlefield to join him. I love that because that's our faith, guys. I need people in my life that make me want to believe in Jesus more because their faith is so substantial, because the way that God has worked in their life is so beautiful that I want to run out into a kingdom battle with them and jump in. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. You guys follow me as I follow Christ. Just keep walking with me. And then in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14, he says this, I do not write these things to shame you or to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now remember, in He has no problem admonishing the church in Corinth. He's not doing that in Philippians, but he's coming after the church in Corinth. So listen, I'm not writing this to shame you. I'm I'm writing this because I love you. I'm writing this because I want you to grow. I'm writing this because I care for you. For though you have countless guides in Christ, another version says, for though you have 10,000 pedagogues, which means 10,000 fathers, a pedagogue was a teacher. And a pedagogue would come along a rich and wealthy Roman family and they would train up the children before they go on to do the work that their father does, right? So a question that didn't exist in the Roman world is what are you going to do when you grow up? Because you did what your father did, right? It was just settled. That's, that was what you did. So between the ages of when you were ready to apprentice to do what your dad did and when you were on like elementary age when, and younger, you had a pedagogue. You had a teacher that would teach you basic math, reading, writing, arithmetic, all the kinds of things that we do in elementary school with our kids. You would have this teacher. And so Paul says to the church in Corinth, listen, you've had 10,000 teachers, And I want to just suggest to you, if you've been in church for any amount of years, if you've sat in the pew, I sat in the pew from the moment I was born until today, right? I got 48 years of sitting in church services. You know how many sermons I've heard in 48 years? The last 27 have all been me. But there's been so many, like there's been so many sermons that I've I've had 10,000 teachers, I've heard 10,000 messages. I've heard 10,000 truths. You know how many of those I remember? A couple? A few? You've had countless guides in Christ, but what you don't have is many fathers. The father was the one who took the child and shaped him. The father was the one who said, no, we're going to be furniture makers And this is how you make the leg of the chair. The father was the one that said, we're going to work with iron. And this is how you swing the hammer and use the heat. The father was the one that said, we're going to be farmers. And this is the time when you plant the seeds. And this is the time when you make it happen. Here's the problem with the church in America. We've had uh, 10,000 pedagogues. We've had 10,000 teachers. We don't have very many fathers and mothers. We don't have those who walk beside us and disciple us, long obedience in the same direction. So for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I urge you what? Be imitators of me. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not saying I'm perfect, right? 
I'm not saying I've got everything right. I'm not saying I've got everything figured out, says Paul. But here's what I can tell you. Follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus as faithfully as I possibly can. And could you just follow me as I do that? Uh, the, the founder of the Grace Family of Churches. If you guys don't know, we are a family of churches. We've got multiple churches in multiple cities, uh, kind of all over the United States, many of them in Georgia. Uh, but the founder of the Grace Family of Churches is a guy named Buddy Hoffman. Buddy passed away uh, around six or seven years ago. And uh, there's a great story of Buddy uh, invited Brian Krosick, who's a good friend of mine. He's the pastor of our Monroe campus uh, in Monroe, Georgia. Uh, and in that place, uh, Buddy invited Brian to live in his basement and to be discipled by him. And Brian had lived there for like six months. And he came to Buddy and he was like, Buddy, like when's the discipleship going to start happening? Like, uh, wait, what, when are we going like, to start opening the Bible and you teach me about Leviticus or something? Like, when is, when is this thing going to happen? And Buddy said, oh, Brian, like, did you see me last night at dinner with that couple that was hurting? That was discipleship. Did you go to the hospital last week with me when we prayed for that family? That was discipleship. Did you see me lead that Bible study this morning with that group of, of men that I'm working with? That's discipleship. Follow me as I follow Christ. So I've got a little graph here that I think helps illustrate this and helps us understand how this works. What begins to happen in our life is we gather information. We learn about Jesus. We learn about his plans for our life. We learn about his word. That's what this teaching is for. That's why we gather on Sundays. Part of it is just to open the word together. Part of it is to be together. Part of it is to worship and pray. But, but a lot of it is about information. I need some information. I want to understand what's going on in the book of Philippians so that I can better understand what God is up to. So I can better understand who he is. We, we read the Bible searching for God and so we want information. And in a healthy discipling relationship, information goes to imitation. This is actually backwards here. We might have messed this up when we did this. Uh, so information actually goes to imitation. And, and, and what that looks like is I'm teaching you about this, but now I'm giving you a model to follow. I'm giving you an example to follow. Now, what we often do is we walk this out backwards. And so we go straight from information to trying to do it ourselves. Uh, I, I was watching uh, the UFC fights last night. Anybody? Anybody else? Nobody? Just me. All right. I, I see two hands. Three hands. Come on. All right. I see a few hands out there. It's all right. Don't send me an email that I'm watching something I shouldn't watch. It's, it's fine. Everybody is okay. Uh, I... Uh, I was watching the UFC fights last night, and the, like, there was this one guy who was not huge. Because right? sometimes these guys come out, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, that dude is a monster. He's going to eat the other guy. Like, he's just going like, to just... And then there's other times where it's just like, oh, that guy looks a little bigger than me. Maybe, maybe a little more than a little bigger. Like, double me, something like that, right? It does not matter how many books I read on the UFC. Like, I could read every Brazilian jiu-jitsu book that was ever written. I could read every book about striking and punching and kicking. I could read every book about defense. I could read every book about wrestling. I could have all the information that is ever needed to be a UFC fighter, and I would get whooped if I stepped into that cage, right? 
And I'm pretty scrappy, guys. I know you don't think I am. I'm pretty scrappy. Come on, Brian. I, I, but it, it, this is how we treat our faith, though. We think that if I just get all this information, I don't need to practice it. I don't need to live it out. I don't need an example to follow. I don't need somebody to walk beside me. I can just all of a sudden go and do it. And so when we get stuck, we don't turn to community. We don't leverage off of each other's faith. We don't get emboldened by each other's faith. We go to Amazon. Like, why are you buying a paperback book from Amazon for $12 when you've got somebody sitting beside you every single week in the pews that can teach you so much better than that book can teach you? I've got piles and piles. I've got stacks and stacks and stacks of books that I have not read. And it's probably good because I need to be in relationship, not in relationship with just books. Uh, We've got to learn how do we imitate. And then from that place of imitation, that's when innovation comes. Like, I, I, I learned so much from my father, but I'm not the same person as my father. So I don't talk about things in the same way as my dad. I don't always do things the same way as my father. Uh, but, I, but I have his DNA inside me. I've just figured out how to be me and live out my faith being me and not being him. But sometimes when you're just learning something, you have to try and imitate somebody. When I first started preaching... My pastor at that time was a guy named Jim Lyon. Jim Lyon is like an NPR host. He's got this real soothing voice. He tells stories about Winston Churchill all the time. Like he'll just stand up there and he'll tell it. It's like a seven-minute story about Winston Churchill. And at the end of it, he'll be like, and Paul said, and everybody's crying in the room. He's this historian. He's way, way smarter than I'll ever be. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. He was my pastor growing up. And so for the longest time, I was, he was discipling me, and I was trying to preach like Jim. I would get up, and I would be like, hello, everyone. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. I was trying to do the NPR voice. I was trying to, like, tell stories about Winston Churchill. I don't know anything about Winston Churchill. I don't know anything about anything. I was just trying to tell all these stories about history. I was trying to do all these things. And then I, then I, like, I realized, okay, this doesn't work for me. And then I started finding, like, other preachers at that time. There was a preacher at that time who did these elaborate, like, uh, props for all of his sermons. He would, like, bring out a goat for all of his sermons. There was, like... There's a lion on stage or there's something. And so I was like, I'm doing that now. I started like, we would bring out all, I was a youth pastor. We had a big youth group. I was just bringing out, we'd have giant props every week. And I was like, that doesn't work. That's not me. That's that guy. And eventually, after doing it, right, we talk about getting your 10,000 hours in, right? You just practice. You just keep working at it. And all of a sudden, you find your voice. And you realize, like, I don't have to be Jim. I don't have to tell stories about Winston Churchill. I don't have to bring a goat on stage every week. Uh, they, it's re- actually really messy when you do that. Like, I don't, I don't need to do that. I, I, I figured out who I am. It's what happens in our life. You, you imitate so that you can discover who you are. So if you're in a place right now and you don't know what you're supposed to do in your faith, look at somebody who looks like Jesus to you and do what they're doing. Ask them, what should I do? Ask them, where should I go? Ask them, what's next? Ask them, how do I get through this? Ask them, how do I 
what do I need to do? What, what should I be thinking about? What should I be praying about? How should I be living this out? Find people that look like Jesus to you and stay close to them. That's the only reason I'm the pastor of this church. Is because seven years ago, my wife and I came here. There was like 25 people in the room, maybe 50 people in the room. And, and, and we walked away from that weekend saying, those people look like Jesus to me. I can do life with them. I can learn from them. I can be with them. I can grow by being in their presence. They love Jesus with a passion and I can pastor them. Find those people, and when you find them, stay there. Jesus said, when you're looking for a person of peace, when you find them, stay there. Stay connected to that person. Stay with that person. Stay around that person. I, I, I really believe that like the, one of the only reasons that I still have faith in Jesus is because of generations of faithfulness. Because my parents did. Because my grandparents did. Because we have stories of faithfulness that run throughout our family. And I now have stories. Just like the song we just sang. I called on the Lord and he heard and he answered. I could tell you thousands of stories of how that's happened in my life. I don't have to tell you stories of how that happened to my grandma. Or how that happened to my mom. Or how that happened to my dad. I can tell you about how it happened in my life. And my prayer is that my kids have thousands of stories of. I called on the Lord and he heard and he answered. So when our circumstances aren't where, they want them, aren't where we want them to be, where they're not where we hoped we would be, I can tell you with all confidence, God is good. I can tell you with all confidence that he is faithful. I can tell you with all confidence that joy comes in the morning. I can tell you with all confidence that I don't want to minimize the pain that you're walking in right now or the prison that you're stuck in in the moments, but I can tell you this, God is faithful and he is good and he is with you and he is working even when you don't know it or even when you don't see it. Verse 15, Paul shifts. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others will preach it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? I love that. It's like Paul's talking trash. What then? What's up now? Paul's like, you put me in prison. You got all these leaders that are stepping in and doing things out of rivalry and ambition. All of these people are doing all of these things. I'm just going to keep leading everybody to the Lord. And you know what's happening out of the rivalry and out of the gap of leadership that was, was gone when I stepped away. And these young leaders who are arrogant and proud and, and are trying to afflict me. You know what's happening out of all of that? Look what he says. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. You cannot stop Paul. You can't stop him. Everything you throw at him, he's like, it's all for Jesus. So this is when Paul starts to make these amazing proclamations in the future of Philippians. I want you to remember this because this is why he's able to say those things. This is why, this is what made Paul, Paul. This is the story of how he was shaped and created and turned into the person that he wants to be. So he says, listen, what's happened is I've stepped out of leadership of all the churches because I'm in prison. And there are young leaders who have stepped into that leadership who don't have the right motives, who don't have the right motivations, whose hearts aren't pure, who are doing it out of rivalry, who are doing it out of selfish ambition, who are doing it out of all of these things. And Paul says, it's fine. Everybody's freaking out. 
Everybody's like, did you hear about this guy that's pastor in this church and what he's doing? It's like the social media feed of everybody. Like we're, we're airing our laundry about what our pastor did or what happened there. All these different things going on. And Paul's like, yeah. Is Christ being preached? Good. We're okay. I trust that God is good. I graduated college in Anderson, Indiana. It's a tiny little town. There's nothing of note in the town at all. There used to be factories. Now there's not. They're good at basketball. Uh, and I, I, I was studying for ministry. I was a sophomore in college, and I didn't know what to do in ministry. I had had a great youth pastor who had discipled me and mentored me. My church had allowed me to preach and teach some. It was the worst sermons in, in the Christian yeah, they were bad. Uh, but they discipled me, loved me, cared for me. I went off to college. I just was like, I got to get a job at the biggest church in town. So I went to the biggest church in town, and I wore a, I wore a tie. Uh, I went to an interview, and they hired me as their middle school intern. That was my first ministry job. I was the middle school intern. Uh, I, I, I've said this for many years. Whoever works with the middle schoolers is the most faithful and holy of all of us. There is, no, there is no animal on the planet that is meaner than a middle school girl. There is not. They are vicious. They will steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, I, 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 was, I was working there, and, and, uh, and I, I, didn't know, I didn't know much of anything. I, I, I was kind of fun. I had learned a few things about teaching. Uh, I played basketball growing up, and I really loved basketball. And so I started an AAU basketball program. I was just like, all right, I got a bunch of friends that are basketball coaches. We're going to start an AAU basketball program for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And I just started coaching every weekend. I just coached different teams. Uh, about year five, we got really good. Uh, we started getting all the kids from Indianapolis that could really play because Anderson kids were decent, but you get those big city kids, right? And then it's about to happen. We started getting those kids. At, at one point, we went to the finals of the AAU National Championship. My front line of eighth graders was seven foot one, six foot ten, and six foot eight. Eighth graders. Eighth graders. These boys could play. They were just so tall. I was just like, just stand there like this, and we're going to be okay. They just stood underneath the basket, put their arms up, and then I had some shooters on the outside that could shoot. We got every rebound. We defended well. We were a great, great team. And all of a sudden, all these kids just started coming to church. Just kids from everywhere. And I started to think I was doing something. Uh, at one point, we had like, I think we had like 500 middle schoolers showing up on a normal week. The church was like 1,000 people. And we had all of these middle schoolers coming. Like the whole city was coming to our little middle school thing. And I started to get like, oh, I'm good at this. Like, I'm 20-something, I'm right? So my competency was way beyond my character. Uh, I got asked to preach at camp meeting. Uh, and when you grow up in the Church of God out of Anderson, there's this thing, it's called camp meeting. And at, at, at that point in my life, I thought this was the largest gathering of Christians in the world. It was like 1,500 people in Anderson, Indiana. But I got asked to preach, and I, I was like, I've arrived. I have made it. I'm amazing. I'm the greatest pastor to ever. I am the next Billy Graham. It is happening. I got a call from the third largest church in the country in Louisville, Kentucky. It was like, we want you to come and be our youth pastor. I went down there. And I, I, no joke, I went into the, their sanctuary. Sanctuary holds 15,000 people. And I went in, and for those of you who have seen the movie Hoosiers, who's seen the movie Hoosiers? I went in and I went, 
hickory, and it echoed throughout the place just like they did in the basketball game. Uh, it was this giant place, and I got hired to be their youth pastor. And for the next 10 to 15 years, I was leading ministry at a really high level, and my motives and motivation and heart and leadership were all so flawed because I was so young. It was all about me. I wanted to be a celebrity pastor. I wrote two books before I turned to age 32. I want to ask you never to read those books. <laughs> I'm really grateful that those are out of print and they're really difficult to find. One of you is going to find one, I'm afraid. Uh, and I apologize for whatever you read in that book. I didn't know what I was talking about. For those of you who are young, don't write a book until you have something to say. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, I, I did all of these things... And in the middle of it, I know that there were leaders around me who were like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, this kid is so arrogant. This kid makes everything about himself. This kid's doing all the wrong stuff all the time. And I'm so thankful, like Paul, that they trusted that he who began a good work in me would be faithful to complete it. That's how Paul started the book to the Philippians. When he's saying that, he's saying, I actually believe it. So yeah, there might be leaders at these churches that I've planted who aren't ready for that role. There might be leaders that are arrogant. There might be leaders that are proud. There might be leaders that are whatever. But I'm trusting that God is going to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And that God is going to work in them. And something good is going to come out of this in the long run. Do we actually trust that God is at work with our young people? When they're nothing but trouble. My daughter came to church early with me this morning. She was asleep in the chair in my office. And I was like, babe, why did you come to church early if you're just going to sleep? Like, go to the prayer meeting. We're, we're getting ready to have a prayer meeting. Go to the prayer meeting. She was like, I'm not going. I was like, serve. Go serve. Go do something. Go help serve coffee. Go do something. She's like, I'm not doing it. So, so I did what every good parent would do. I went and got the youth pastor. <laughs> and I was like, Daniel, talk to her. And within five minutes, she's praying and serving and doing everything. Like all these things are happening. Listen, with our young people, we've got to work this stuff out with them. We've got to give leaders a chance before they're ready. We've got to walk beside them when they fail. We've got to care for them in the middle of their motives and motivations being mixed. We've got to be there in all of these places. Paul trusts that God is going to work out the selfish ambition in others. Because God worked out the selfish ambition in him. He trusts that God has done this work in me. If anybody, like Paul, later on in Philippians, he shares his resume. He's like, I did this, 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 this. I did all of these things. But that's not what made me who I am today. It's because I humbled myself and became like Christ who made himself nothing. That's when I learned discipleship. And so because of the work that God had done in Paul... Paul trusted that God was doing a work in somebody else. And this is what I want to ask for you, church. There are imperfect people in the church. People that are going to get it wrong. People who are going to say the wrong things, do the wrong things, make mistakes. All of those things are going to happen. And do we trust that the same spirit that is at work in me is in work in them? And that the same God that did something pretty cool in me when I was a 20-year-old kid who didn't know what I was doing and was arrogant and proud. And I'm still arrogant and proud. I'm just not as bad as being arrogant and proud. That God did that work in somebody else.
Like I, I want us to be a place that says we want to leverage our faith for the next generation. I want us to be a place that says to our young people, to our high schoolers, to our middle schoolers, to our college students, to the young adults in the room, I want us to be able to be a people that say, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to disappoint you, but I'm doing the very best I can to follow Jesus. So follow me as I follow Christ. Somebody asked me this question once and it knocked me off the floor. Somebody said, if you're trying to disciple people, is there anybody that actually wants your life? If you're inviting somebody into something and saying, imitate me, is there anything in your life that's worth imitating? Honestly, think about it. Take some time over the, I'm going to give you church homework. I'm, I'm wrapping up. But here's your church homework. I want you to think through who are those people that emboldened your faith? Who are those people in your life that you're like, I, I grafted off your faith for a while. Or I learned, and I want you just to send a thank you. A text, an email, a phone call, something this week to just say, hey, in church this Sunday, we were talking about people whose faith impacted me and yours did. And encourage those people because my guess is nine out of ten times people don't even know that happened. They don't even know that something good happened in the midst of it. That's the first set of homework. The second set of homework is to think through in your life right now, what is the one thing that you are confident that you can pass on to the next generation? And you can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What's the one thing that you're like, all right, I think I've actually got, I figured this out a little bit. I've gotten some victory in this area of my life. I actually know something about this. And I want us to just start inviting people into our lives. This is the church. This is the church in Philippi. This is the church in in Marietta. It's what we do. We're going to keep showing up week after week. You're going to get your 10,000 sermons if you stay here long enough. But the question is, are we going to actually find fathers and mothers who are walking with us? Friends who are standing beside us. People that are urging us on in our faith. And my prayer is that, like Paul, we're able to say these are the things that shaped us and made us. These are the culture-building things that created the community that went on to do the things that God has called us to.